When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. We're going to spend a few moments thinking through those verses that Nicole just read to us. Um, They may be very familiar to you, um, if you've gone to Easter services and things in the past, and it's one of the... um, narratives, the accounts of the resurrection, or rather what they found when they went to the tomb. And so we're going to be looking um, over the next few minutes at what I think are three life-changing headlines that we see in this little resurrection account, three life-changing statements, which for me make all the difference. And I hope that um, they'll just encourage you and help you uh, to understand a little more about what Easter is really all about. And the first statement, or the first phrase I want to point you to, um, is in verse 6. Jesus of Nazareth. That's the phrase that I think makes all the difference. Jesus of Nazareth. The angel um, that that appears and and is met by the three women makes this monumental statement in verse 6. The angel says, you seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified He is risen. He's not here. Um, Mark tells us in the first few verses of our little section that three women, uh, Mary, Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome, they they purchased some spices. And and, and this would have been part of of ordinary uh, Jewish culture at that time, would have been to go and anoint and prepare the body for, for burial. Um, and so they had gone very early, it says there in the morning, probably to the market or something like that, to buy these spices that would have cost quite a, quite a bit of money. Um, it's, it's an expensive thing to, to prepare uh, a body for death. And it seems to be that they were very much expecting a corpse. You know, they bought the spices, they were chattering about who's going to roll the stone away because the stone would have been very heavy, would have typically been placed over the tomb um, so that, you know, grave robbers couldn't get in there and steal what what little remained, or or wild animals or whatnot. Uh, By the way, tombs were frequently, um, you know, uh, drilled in in, in the side of of rocky hills and mountains. It wouldn't be quite like our burials, which go down into the ground. Jewish burials at that time, uh, they've gone into the side of the... Um, gone into the side of the mountain. So that's, and, and, you know, covered up with huge stones or, or s- such like. Um, so they're expected to find a dead body, but what they did find instead was an angel. This young man, it says here. And this angel says, you're seeking Jesus of Nazareth. And I, I just think that is so intriguing. And, and I want to try and show why that is intriguing to me and hopefully it will be to you as well. The angel was announcing the resurrection of Jesus and, 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 and titles 
matter. How we speak about Jesus matters. And, and, and as we've been studying through uh, the Gospel of Mark as a church for, for well over a year now, we have found uh, loads and loads of descriptions about Jesus. The angel could have used any title he wanted. He could have said, you know, you've you've come to find the Christ. You've come to find the the, the Jewish Messiah. Uh, He could have called Jesus the Lord. He could have called him the King, the King of Kings, the one whose name is above every name. He could have used those and any other name he wanted, even, you know, the Son of God. All these names have been used of Jesus so far in the Gospel of Mark. But here, The angel says, you've come looking for Jesus of Nazareth. It just sounds, on the surface anyway, so ordinary to call him that. So dull. Um, Certainly not an exultant title. Lord and King and Messiah. None of that. Nazareth, the place where Jesus was from, uh, was the hometown uh, where he, where he uh, was brought up and he learnt the family trade of carpentry. And it was up in the northern region of Galilee. He was a northerner, we might say. Uh, this is all taking place, of course, down in uh, Jerusalem, just outside Jerusalem. In fact, in, in Mark chapter 6, halfway through uh, the Gospel accounts, Jesus went back to his hometown of Nazareth after a year or so of his public ministry. And it says there that the townspeople of Nazareth despised him. They were like, that's just Jesus, the carpenter. He's just the guy that we know. We know his family. We know the school he went to. We know the kids he used to hang out with. We know who he used to play football with. He's one of us. And so it says in Mark chapter 6 that they despised him. They took offense at Jesus. He's just an ordinary man. And yet here we have this angel. Could have used any title he wanted to. And he claims, yes, this man is crucified. Yes, he has risen. Yes, he's the king. Yes, he's the Lord. Yes, he's the Messiah. But he's Jesus of Nazareth. And for me, that takes things to a whole new level when it comes to understanding what Easter is all about. See, when we look at the person, Jesus of Nazareth, we see a, a human being just like one of us. Um, just an ordinary guy. And that, I think, is what makes this amazing. It makes, it makes it breathtaking for me. Because as a human, as an ordinary person, just like us, Jesus was crucified. We've been singing about that. As an ordinary person, he was raised to life. In fact, the, uh, the, slightly awkward, but in the original language, in the Greek, it sort of literally says, he has been risen. Um, suggesting that something happened to that human being, Jesus, to cause him to come to life. The power of God acted on him in a strange and special and amazing way. He has been risen. It's hugely significant for us, right? Because I think Easter suggests at least it is possible, therefore, for a human being to overcome death. One of us, when we look at the cross and when we look at the empty grave, we, we can say that happened to one of us, a human being, a member of our race. Someone experienced that. And when we start thinking like that, we, we can start allowing uh, a chink of light to come in to what can be a very dark time, a very dark story. 
Because we can start allowing ourselves to think and maybe dream. Maybe. Just maybe. Because if it happened to that human being and he's just one of us, then maybe it can happen to me too. Or to us. Um, In Christian theology, uh, the theologians say that Jesus, among other things, is our representative. You know, he does stuff on behalf of us. Um, Just think of the American ambassador in our country. For example, he or she, whoever occupies that role, um, is a foreigner from a different country, and yet they come to our country on behalf of their home nation. They're representing their home nation, and they represent their home nation's presence in a different place. The, the, the citizens of, that, of America are being represented through that one man or woman, one person representing the whole. That's what they're doing. And so here we see Jesus is our representative, not of the nation of America or any other country in the world. Our own country. He's here to represent all of humankind. And when he lives his life, he lived his life as one of us. He obeyed God's laws. He loved and delighted in God in every moment as a human being. On his cross, we see that Jesus was being judged for human sin, but it was one of us that was being judged for human sin. When he was resurrected, it was one of us being raised to life. Uh, overcoming death and now he's a human being in the presence of God at God's right hand in heaven representing you to the Father. Jesus of Nazareth. What does this mean? I think it means that it's possible that death is not the end for each of us. Uh, It is possible for a human being to overcome death I think it's possible for a real human being to enjoy real physical existence beyond death. He has been raised, as the angel said. And so is it possible that the same power that raised Jesus can also raise you? Or maybe your loved ones? The Apostle Paul certainly thought so. He wrote in Romans chapter 8, a letter to the church, the early church in Rome. He said, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. You see what he's saying? He's saying that same power that same spirit that raised Jesus from the grave can raise you too. And so in the ordinariness of Jesus of Nazareth, the carpenter, I think we can find immense hope because he's one of us. And if one of us has overcome death, then maybe we can too. It gives us these vast resources to face the greatest challenge in life, which is death itself. Jesus of Nazareth. First life-changing headline. Second life-changing headline I want to bring to you. It's actually two words. 
and Peter. And Peter. See that in verse 7. Um, the women here were the first to hear the good news that the grave is empty. And um, that really boosts the credibility of what we're reading here because in that context, in that historical uh, time, in that part of the world, uh, women were not considered to be uh, viable witnesses in a court of law. Uh, so the fact that it was, you know, according to all the gospel writers here, these three women, uh, women that discover this, uh, boosts, in, our, in my mind anyway, uh, the reliability of what we're reading here. It's not a made-up story. Anyway, they hear the good news, and they're given this commission, we could call it, from the angel in verse 7, but go, he says, tell his disciples and Peter, and I'll see them in Galilee. And right after that, it tells us that the uh, women did exactly what they were told not to do. They fled. They were full of fear, and it says astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. They were told to go and tell, and what they did was run away and be full of fear. They froze. You know, they freaked out. I think you probably would too as well if you're in their position. Let's be fair. They lost the plot. And, and this is where Mark's gospel narrative finishes. That's the end. A cliffhanger. These women just so freaked out by what they've just seen and heard. Off they go. They, they bolt. But when we read the other accounts, Matthew and Luke and John, we can read a little more and figure out that these women actually did go and speak to the team. They did go and find the disciples and Peter and tell them all they had seen. But it's those two words, and Peter, which are loaded with power. Um, Peter hasn't had a glorious few hours. Um, uh, he's been with Jesus. He's had the Last Supper with the disciples. He's declared his allegiance. I'm never going to leave you, Jesus. Even if the rest do, I'm always with you. And then as we saw a few weeks ago in the, the, the Garden of Gethsemane, he fell asleep. Um, he scurried away when the Roman or when the, uh, the authorities came to arrest Jesus. And as we saw last week at, at his trial, Peter denied Jesus three times in the most spectacular public way. The first time Jesus had been openly denied in all of the Bible was done by Peter. And it says he broke down and he wept. Was this the end of Peter? He must have thought to himself. The rest might have been okay, perhaps Peter thought. They just fled. But I was the one who denied Jesus not just once but three times and I did it in style, I did it publicly. I called down curses on myself. I denied Jesus ever existed or even knew who he was. The other disciples might be okay, but not me. I'm so bad. My, my, my denial of Jesus was so emphatic. I'm absolutely finished. I think Peter would have been thinking along these lines. But it's clear from our text today that Jesus had other plans for Peter. I love how he singles Peter out. Go and tell the disciples the good news and Peter. Just highlights that Jesus still wants Peter, someone like Peter. It highlights that there's still a way back. You know, despite the denials, despite the rejection, despite turning his back on his greatest friendship with Jesus. Jesus holds out grace for Peter. He wants to restore him. Uh, he wants to forgive him. He wants to, to pardon him. He wants to uh, 
welcome him back into a relationship with him again. You have wounded me, Peter, but that does not define my heart towards you, says Jesus. See, the gospel that we gather and rehearse every Sunday is that Jesus of Nazareth is willing to do the same for you too. He will do that to you too. Some of you might think this morning that you're, you're just too far gone. You're like Peter. Um, you might look at the other disciples, even those in the room right now, and think, well, they're okay. <laughs> they're good people. They're religious people, but not me, Lord. No way. I, I, you know what? I've rebelled. I've, I've blasphemed. I've screwed up. I've messed up. Uh, I messed up on top of my mess-ups. <laughs> There's no way that Jesus will have back someone like me. I've gone against him in my thoughts and my words and my deeds. I've, I've, I've spent years away from him, denying him, hating him. I couldn't come back to Jesus even if I wanted to. He'll never accept me back. He'll never love me. But I want to give you two words, if that's how you think this morning. And Peter. why we celebrate the gospel right it's why we celebrate the resurrection of jesus because at easter we recognize that unworthy unattractive unrighteous undeserving sinners like you and like me and like the rest of us in this room can come to jesus and be pardoned and be forgiven and receive grace and be restored and come to know the pleasure of god instead of his wrath that's all because of the empty grave How can we make this ours? It's all very well for Peter. How can, we, how can we take this in? How can we take hold of this gospel? Well, we do it by responding. In verse 7, Jesus calls the disciples and Peter to respond. He says, there you will see him. Just as he told you, he's going to go ahead to Galilee. It's an invitation to come and meet Jesus, uh, to, to, to meet him, to, to receive him again. And, and you do that through trusting in him and taking him at his word and believing that he is calling you to himself and he wants to love you and receive you back. For Peter and the crew here, it meant physically going to Galilee to meet Jesus. For us here today, it means believing that what he said is true going towards him wherever he happens to be, and that what he, believing that what he did actually happened and that that is offered to you. It's offered to you this morning. It's valid for you. And Jesus gives us two gifts. As we take steps to him, we're not called to go on pilgrimage to Galilee, although you can, I'm sure it's lovely. But he gives us these two gifts. He, he says, if you want to come and find me and meet me and these two gifts are baptism and the Lord's Supper the communion, you know, the bread and the wine the bread and the bath as Martin Luther called it it's all about identifying and belonging to a believing community because it's not a personal pursuit relationship with Jesus, it's something we do together as a family 
And later on, of course, we'll be celebrating and, and uh, reminding ourselves of what Jesus has done as two, two of our people are going to be baptized. So why not you? Why not hear the invitation that Jesus gives you this morning and, and trust him at his word that this gospel is for you? And Peter. Those two words can blow it out. Uh, blow it apart, sorry. We've seen Jesus of Nazareth, an ordinary guy just like us, going from death to life. We've seen Anne Peter, the person who feels they're too far gone, can even come back to restoration. And the third and final life-changing headline I want to encourage you with this morning is again found in verse 7. He is going before you. He's going before you. See, being a follower of Jesus as they find out and as we are finding out as a church is not simply about knowing the good news in our minds it's good to do that but it's about following it out uh, Jesus clearly had plans for his team you know right right back at the beginning of the gospel he had called them to himself and he said come follow me and here again he's calling to them and say I'm going to see you in Galilee I'm going ahead of you you know, the, the training was over. Jesus had risen, but that was not the end of the story. Because now the team were being brought back together again to prepare them for mission, to be sent out in Jesus' name. Why Galilee? This is all taking place, the crucifixion just outside Jerusalem. Why Galilee? Well, it too is the northern region in the part of Palestine where they were. It was 50 plus miles away uh, from Jerusalem. It would have taken several days to walk um, in those days, it's where Jesus lived. Galilee was where the apostles were from. It was where they were originally brought together and given this mission by Jesus. It, it is the place where Jesus sent them out in pairs into training missions to go into the towns and villages all around Galilee to proclaim the good news, announce the kingdom of God is coming, heal the sick, cast out demons... And here is Jesus again bringing the team back together up in Galilee for take two. Kind of like the uh, Avengers Endgame. I don't know if you've seen that. It's the last one in this huge long trio, uh, series of Marvel movies. Uh, but in the Endgame, the, the team is reunited and they're called to embark on the mission to end all missions. These superheroes. And that's what Jesus is doing in Galilee. He's bringing the team back together again to embark on the mission to end all missions. But they're not behaving like superheroes in this case. In fact, far from it. Jesus has spent the last three years of his life and their life pouring into them, talking, training, teaching them about their mission, the kingdom of God. He, he, he's shown them experiences. He's, he's brought them through spiritual battles. He's shown his power over um, he, uh, death and sickness and all the rest of it. And then at the time when Jesus was at his trial, the whole team fell apart. It says at the end of chapter 14, they all left him and fled. So much for the Avengers endgame. We might think to ourselves, well, is that maybe mission over? They've blown it. Well, not according to Jesus. And we see here because of the empty grave and because of the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth, who is the Son, he is the Lord, he is the Messiah... He is one of us. It is not the end of the story. But yet his death and resurrection is 
a doorway, it's the start line, it's the, the next phase of the mission. What happened when they went to Galilee? We don't see it here, we have to read elsewhere. But they encounter Jesus, they meet him, they see him, they embrace him, they eat with him, they drink with him, they love him, they enjoy him, they celebrate him. He's alive. But not just that, they are recommissioned. We see that at the end of John, the end of Matthew. They're reminded of their job to go and show and tell the kingdom of God. Go and call people to turn to faith in Jesus and join the mission. That's what happens. And the reason why I'm highlighting this phrase, he is going before you, is because Jesus doesn't, doesn't meet them up in Galilee for a pep talk and then just set them on their way again. And this is really important for us here at Foundation Church. Bellas, if you call Foundation Church your home, this is important for us. We have to know and understand that right here, Jesus is going before us just as he told you. It means that when we are called by Jesus, he has gone on ahead of us already. There is nothing to fear. There, uh, he's not meeting us to whack us or to reject us or, or to give us a hard time. He is there already, ready to give grace, ready to restore, ready to send you out again on mission. Let me say it like this, and I'll try, try and put it in a different way. Jesus does not send you anywhere that he is not already present. Right, he goes ahead of you. Yes, he calls you to do something. Yes, he tells us to go out, but he's already there by his Holy Spirit. We're just, we're just following him. We're listening to him. We're obeying him. We're going where he already is. I just think that's so reassuring to us as a church and maybe you too as an individual. So if and when God calls us to start a new church in a new neighborhood or a new town or a new country even, we can rest assured that he is already there. He is, he is welcoming us to himself. He, he's already moving. He's already working. Maybe he's calling you to take courageous steps with him, whether that's in terms of your relationships or maybe courageous steps financially, courageous steps in trusting him with more faith. We can do all that because it's not blind faith because he's already there. He's calling us to him. We're just simply going towards him. And that boosts our confidence, doesn't it? As we move out on mission for Jesus. Um, he makes us bold. Brave. Because he's already there. I remember as a young boy and, and having flashbacks when my daughter does this. When we go swimming. You know, jumping into the pool. But when you're not very good at swimming... Knowing your father's in there already with his arms open, you're much more willing to leap in, aren't you? And she does it to me. And I think that knowing Jesus is there already with arms open means it's so much easier to leap into him. And for those of us who follow Jesus, our mission is to go and make disciples, it's to baptize people, it's to teach them how to live for Jesus. And as we go out on mission, we know he's already there. Jesus of Nazareth and Peter. He's going before you. Let's pray.